please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Genesis chapter 37, page 31 in the Blue Pew Bible. Genesis 37, we'll read the first 11 verses. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Gracious Father, we pray as we've just praised you for your spirit and sought your spirit's blessing. We need your spirit to breathe upon the word and open our eyes to it. We pray that you would enable us to profit from it. Open uh, your word to us that it would be implanted richly in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's holy word. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brother, brothers. He was a boy with the sons of of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him, more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's word. So we finally come to the story of Joseph. And this part of Genesis is a, is a favorite for many people. Uh, on the one hand, 
There are a lot of bad things that happen here to Joseph, and it's uh, sad to see all those trials and troubles that come upon him that he had to endure, but there are also many wonderful encouragements for us here as well in this story of Joseph. For one thing, we can relate to these trials and troubles, even though ours that we go through are very different. But our real encouragement comes from seeing the work of Joseph's God and our God. We see in these passages how God's sovereign hand of providence is over everything that happens. Everything that happens in life. Everything in Joseph's life and everything in our lives. Nothing happens by chance. Our loving Lord is working out His purposes, His good purposes for His people. And we see that as this passage unfolds. In fact, this is one of the classic passages for the teaching of God's providence. Some have called this this narrative of Joseph's life the classic illustration of Romans 8, 28, showing how and fleshing out in such a beautiful way uh, the way the Lord, as Paul writes, works all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's exactly what we see in uh, this story of Joseph. We also see here how God was keeping his promises. He's showing his faithfulness to his own promises that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. God takes this little family down to Egypt and then he forms them in time into a great nation, just as he promised he would. He does what he says. And we see Joseph here as one who prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Christ, Joseph was despised and rejected by men, even by those who were close to him, those who should have received him. But he was God's appointed man to bring about a beautiful deliverance for his people. Well, as we look at this passage, let's notice, first of all, the title of this section. There is something of a title here. We see it in verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. The generations of Jacob. That's what this whole section is about. It's not just about Jacob himself. It's not just uh, what the Lord was doing in Jacob's life. It's about Israel. It's about God's people as they're carried on, as they're preserved and sustained and saved through the person and work of Joseph. It's through Joseph that Israel is saved. And this story begins with this young 
uh, teenage Joseph. Again, he's shepherding the flocks along with his brothers. And sadly, there was a lot of tension between him and his brothers, a lot of tension. Now, often that's the case between siblings, isn't it? But uh, probably not quite to the degree that we see here. He was very much resented. You remember, you had those two wives of Jacob, Leah and Rachel, and Leah was not loved, but Leah had most of the children. And so Leah's children grew up resenting Jacob, their father's favoritism toward Rachel and Rachel's children. And their anger was made worse when Jacob failed to show the kind of concern that he should have had for their sister Dinah. Remember, Dinah was raped. And Jacob did very little about it. And the sons of the two maidservants, you remember Jacob took them as wives as well, they surely felt just as resentful or more so uh, toward Rachel and her children. So there's a lot of anger simmering in these men, and largely it is toward Joseph because he is the favorite. He certainly wasn't perfect by any means. He was a sinner like we all are, and we'll see that here. We get a glimpse of Joseph's sinfulness early on here. In many ways, his brother's anger toward him was not his fault, but he definitely did some things to uh, earn their disdain. He didn't help matters by his actions and his words. And we see some of that in our chapter today, in our passage. In verse 2, first of all, we read that he brought a bad report about his brothers, or an evil report. What does that mean? Well, there's no doubt that his brothers were bad characters. They were not the highest quality individuals. They were already uh, showing uh, what kind of people they were, mischievous, immoral. Two of them already were vindictive murderers, mass murderers, no less. These were some rough, tough, bad people. And so it shouldn't surprise us that they get a bad report about their behavior, about what they're doing. They probably deserved it. But there's more going on here than just fair and balanced reporting by the young teenage Joseph. Commentators are divided on whether the word evil here refers to the behavior of these other brothers, or whether it refers to Joseph's report, his, uh, let's call it a little bit of a tattletale report. We already know the brothers were bad, but Moses uses words here to tell us that, he's using these words to tell us that it's actually Joseph's report that he gave that was bad. 
And the word for report here is used elsewhere in Scripture to refer to uh, a report that is given that is untrue or defaming. Remember the story of the Israelite spies. That's one example. They spied out the land of Canaan. They were sent in to see the land and come back and give a report about the land and the people who lived there. And they brought back an evil report. It's the same word. Now remember, in that instance, God had promised that he would give the Israelites the land despite the kind of people, the many and very large people who lived in the land. But the spies went in and they saw those large people and the number of them, and they just did not believe God. They didn't believe his promise that God would bring them in and enable them to conquer. They said, no, we can't fight these people. They're too powerful. They're too big. We're like grasshoppers next to them. And they spread this bad report among the Israelites. There's nothing wrong with the land. There was nothing wrong with God's plan for them to go into the land. It was the report that was bad. It was evil. It was unbelieving. And that's how the word is used here with Joseph. Joseph is not just reporting straight facts about his bad brothers. The report itself was bad. He probably exaggerated or misrepresented the the truth about his brothers. He probably made things, uh, made them look worse than they uh, really were. And you know how we can do this. It's easy to do this when you're talking about someone. You have to be careful when you're talking about someone, especially if it's someone who's done something wrong. It's so easy for us to embellish and exaggerate the facts so that you make that person look worse and you make yourself look better. We do that, and that is sinful. And Joseph was probably doing something like that here. We ought not to do that. We ought to only speak the truth and do so in a gracious, loving way. And I think much of the time we should probably just not speak. We need to know when to keep silent. And that's probably a lot more often than we think. But when we do speak of others, we should try not to make them look bad. We should try to uphold them, to uphold their reputation, to protect it, to speak well of people as much as possible. Let love govern your speech about others. And so as as good as Joseph appears later on in this story, and he does, uh, that's where we see him uh, in a very uh, exalted way, in a a way where he really does show up as a, a, a wonderful savior for his people, for his family. We don't see him that way here. Here we see 
Joseph warts and all. We see him doing, doing wrong, behaving badly. And this is good that we see uh, the Bible presenting God's people this way. God's word tells the truth, even when it isn't flattering. We see here that Joseph was no super saint. He was no perfect young man. He's a sinner in need of a savior, just like us. This also reminds us that God doesn't choose people based on our being good or being perfect. No one is good. No one is righteous. Not one. He chooses us based on his sovereign grace and choice alone. He chooses to set his love upon us. He chooses to redeem us. He justifies us through faith in his Son. And then he also makes us more and more, day by day, to grow in grace, to be godly people through the work of his Spirit and his Word. He conforms us to the image of his Son. We're not saved by being good, but we are saved unto a life that is good, and that is the Lord's work in us and only his work. Well, then we, we see Jacob's sin here next. Jacob, the father. We read Israel, who is Jacob, of course. He's renamed Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, and he made him a robe of many colors. Ah, that famous robe. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Favoritism. Favoritism. That ugly, damaging sin. It was a generational sin in this family. I don't know if you remember, but Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. And so now Jacob is continuing that tradition of favoritism, that, that wicked sin that he learned from his own parents. It's not wrong to love your children and want to bless them. But favoritism is wrong and it's hurtful. It causes strife in a family. It causes hatred between siblings. All parents should learn from this story. Sibling relations are ruined when one is favored over the others. And this wasn't some uh, accidental thing. This wasn't a misunderstanding. Jacob flat out, uh, unashamedly loved Joseph more, and he didn't even try to hide it, not the least. He gave, gave him this multicolored robe, the, the brightest, most uh, gaudy thing you could imagine. I'm sure it was beautiful, but his brothers had nothing like it. It was a lavish gift. It was probably an expensive gift. And now Joseph pranced around in this thing and stuck out like a sore thumb from his brothers. And every time they saw him, that robe made a statement. 
And what was that statement? It was something like, look at me, I'm daddy's favorite. He loves me the most. Maybe he even said some things to reinforce that. But wearing that thing was like pouring fuel on a fire that already existed. It was so hard for his brothers to be friendly to Joseph as he walked around wearing that robe. They just couldn't stand him. And that was a foretaste of what was to come. Strife and hatred toward the chosen son. It's a terrible, terrible situation. And yet God is in the process of working even through this. He's working something very good. Even through all this sin, he's weaving this beautiful plan together. And that's exactly what he does with our bad, painful situations, the problems that we get into in life, even those problems that are caused by our own sin. God, this God, is still the same. He still works redemptively, beautifully, through sad, sinful situations like this. He even uses the evil of men to bring about his beautiful, saving purposes. Well, so Joseph was, uh, was on very thin ice here with his brothers. We know what's going to happen next. It's not going to go well. Um, and it immediately gets even worse because he tells him about this dream that he had. Now, he doesn't seem to be doing it boastfully here. Uh, maybe he was, but it, if nothing else, it was very insensitive and unwise to tell this dream to his brothers who were already furious with him. It alienated them even further. And it's this dream about harvest time. He says, Behold, we were all out in the field. We were binding our sheaves. And my sheaf arose and stood upright. And, and yours all came around me and, and, and bowed down to my sheaf. This dream was from the Lord. And it was God's way of revealing a hint about what the future held. Joseph would be exalted, and he would save many lives, including his brothers. But all the brothers heard was that Joseph was going to be exalted over them, and they did not like that at all. They said, are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you going to rule over us? And they hated him even more because of the dream. They were just burning with hatred toward him at this point. They probably thought he was so arrogant. They thought, now he's having delusions of grandeur too yet. So there's this escalating anger toward Joseph. And for the third time now in this passage, we're told they hated him. 
But he wasn't done that. He has another dream, and he tells them the second dream as well. And this one goes even further. He said, I dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. It seems the sun and the moon and the stars here are symbolic. The 11 stars represent Joseph's 11 brothers, and the sun and moon seem to represent his father and mother, as verse 10 says. But this dream had the same message as the first dream. Joseph is going to be highly exalted, and his whole family will be very humbled before him. And we're not told what the brothers thought. They didn't, uh, they didn't respond to this one. But the father, uh, Jacob, chimed in first and rebuked Joseph. What, what, what is this dream? Shall I and your mother and your brothers come and bow down to the ground before you? And again, we're told his brothers were jealous of him. So it's probably good that Jacob rebuked him. He didn't need to be sharing these things in such an insensitive way and inflaming the situation further. But notice what it says about Jacob. He went away and he kept this saying in mind. Makes me think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she treasured up those things in her heart, the things that her son was doing and saying. Jacob pondered these things, these, these dreams that his son was having. Remember, Jacob himself, years earlier, had had dreams. He had had encounters with the Lord God in that dream he had long ago. Maybe hearing Joseph's dream, sounded, something sounded familiar to him, something rang true. And it certainly should have, because it was the same God who was revealing himself once again, only now to Jacob's young son. Now notice the presence of God in this passage. He doesn't show himself here in the same way he did before, in the same way he appeared uh, in visions and dreams to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's very different. He doesn't appear like that here. There's no visible manifestation of God, and yet his fingerprints are all over these events. Even in the sinful actions and attitudes of Joseph and his brothers and Jacob's favoritism, the Lord is at work through those things. God's hidden hand, his invisible hand of providence is orchestrating all these things to bring about his purposes. Even the brother's rejection of Joseph is part of God's plan, as is the whole chain of events that's going to follow. So even though we don't see God here, he is the main character in this story. Even in all these conflicts, even in all these events that, that seem to be horrible, 
disasters, terrible things, this, this conflict in a family, hatred. And what's going to happen soon with Joseph and his brothers? Even in all those things, God is there in the midst of it, doing his work of grace to bring about the redemption of his people. He's a redeeming God. That's what he does, even through the worst of things. And that's true of your life, too. And you can believe that if you're a Christian. The God we worship and serve is an invisible God, but he is wonderfully and constantly present in our lives and working by his providence. Often all we can see, though, are our lives all tangled up uh, and messed up with conflicts and suffering and problems, even problems caused by our own sins. But you can know, believer, that he is always there with you in the midst of it all. Even if we feel like our life is completely out of control, and sometimes we do feel that way. He has it all under perfect control, his perfect control. He's governing our lives with perfect wisdom and power and in his love. And he's working out his good purposes for us in ways that will be far better than we can even imagine or possibly foresee and so he calls us to trust in him. We don't see him. We don't see the end of our story. And often, sadly, sometimes what we do see is more and more problems coming. But God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. He calls us to trust in him. So rest your souls in the Lord, people. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and know that he has taken care of all the things that really matter. He's taken care of all the things pertaining to eternity for your soul that you trust in him. And if you can trust him for your eternity, well, you can trust him for this life and your circumstances. It is absolutely true that in all things, God works together for the good of you who love him, for you who are called according to his purpose. So trust in him. Trust in the God of perfect providence. He will sustain you. And he will never stop doing you good. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that you'd help us to profit greatly from it and from this story of Joseph. We pray that you would glorify your Son 
that you'd strengthen our faith in him and our commitment to him. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.